In light of Promotion Sunday, me and Les talked about what I should share with you. We spent a lot of time discussing it. We tossed around a lot of different ideas. Uh, We talked about, should I preach a message on promotion? Should I uh, step out of our series of Romans and use a different text? Should I use something that very specifically talks to the young people? But ultimately, we decided that I should actually stay in the book of Romans. Now, this was largely my idea because as your kids step into our Faith 5-8 ministry, or even if they're in or going into our high school ministry, I just thought it would be a good idea if you guys, as parents and members of our church, could see the way that I teach and see the way that I approach scripture. We're going to start the year off with our kids. We're going to start off in the book of James, and we're going to walk through it just every single line, every single chapter. We're going to walk through the book of James. And I wanted you to see kind of what your kids would be hearing this year, not the book of James specifically, but the way that I teach the Bible. I know it's a big deal for you as parents and grandparents to trust someone with your kids, especially when it comes to their eternity. And I know that I can come off as a little bit carefree. I know, I'm not, I know, it's fine. Uh, I know that in a lot, and in a lot of areas, that's completely true. In a lot of areas, I'm a very carefree person. But there are a few areas that I get very serious about because I believe that they are serious things that we need to take seriously. And so God's word is one of those things. Now, with that being said, what I want to do is I want to go ahead and jump into it. And we're going to pick up where Les left off last week. And we're going to be looking at Romans 7, verse 5 and 6. And if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there with me. Uh, And today, I get to talk about the one thing that every pastor loves to talk about, okay? We, we, have, we have conferences being like, we get to talk about this today, guys. We get to do it. And not only pastors, I don't think it's just pastors. I think every single person in this room loves to talk about what we're going to talk about today. I think it is everybody's favorite subject. That's right. You guessed it. Sin. Today, we're going to talk about sin, and we can actually do a little personality test based on how you responded to the word sin just now. If you were like, yes, I'm so excited, seek help. But also, if you were like, I got to get out of this room, you should probably seek help for different reasons. Uh, But today, we're going to talk about sin. And We may be tempted in this room. I know that I've done it. I'll probably do it today because it's something that I'm working on. But we have probably in this room, instead of calling it sin, we've said, oh, I've made a mistake or I have a problem or there's a hiccup or I've had a little oopsie along the way. But I think that it's important that we approach this subject the way that God's word approaches it. I think it's important that we approach this subject in the same way that God does. And God doesn't say, I made a mistake. God doesn't say something went wrong. God doesn't say that there's an oopsie. God calls it what it is. God calls it sin. And so today, I think that it's important that we call it what God calls it and that we define it how he defines it. It's not something that we should try to shy away from. It's not something that we should try to give our own definition to. It's not something that we should run from because the reality is that sin is sin. And here's another reality. Sin is uncomfortable, right? If you're in sin, you should be uncomfortable. If sin is around you, you should be 
uncomfortable. Sin is an uncomfortable topic. And the reason for that is really, really simple. It's because sin is uncomfortable. See, the worst place that you can be in is comfortable in your sin. We talked about this a little bit at the porch last week. Um, we've been we've been kind of doing a pre-study on the book of James. And James is really, like James does not pull punches. If you guys ever read the book of James, which you should, it does not pull punches in any way. In fact, there are times that I read James and I'm like, come on, James, lighten up, man. It's going to be okay. But James doesn't pull punches. And so we were talking about sin at the porch last week, and it really encouraged me to see the way that our kids were able to interact with the subject. They were able to grasp sin. They were able to grasp what it was. And then they were able to grasp what James was talking about when he talks about what sin is and what we can do to avoid it. And so I just want you guys to know, I, I said that as a little bit of like a side tangent, but your kids have a really great grasp on God's word. Um, they are, they're super intelligent kids and they are just so hungry for what God is doing. And I'm so thankful that I've gotten to just be with them and to share with them. And they are just, they're phenomenal when it comes to studying God's word. All right. So a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, I believe Michael got to share with us from my favorite chapter in the whole book of the Bible, right? He got to share with us from Romans chapter eight, which I believe is the greatest chapter in the whole Bible, right? I think out of all, out of all 66 books and all X amount of chapters that I should have looked up out of all of those Romans eight is the one that I think is the best chapter. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that it's all God's word. And so technically there is no greatest chapter, greatest verse, greatest moment, because at the end of the day, it's all God's holy word. But if I am being honest with you for a second, all right, just a second, I won't be honest the rest of this time, but for just a second, when I read Leviticus, I, I gotta, I gotta fight through it a little bit. Okay. When I read Leviticus, I'm like, all right, Lord, I know there's something in here. I know that you put this in here for a reason and I'm going to figure it out. But I, but I gotta, I gotta read Leviticus, like, you know, like trying not to fall like on the edge of the stage so that if I fall asleep, I'll fall. Right. I mean, Leviticus is tough, but when I read Romans eight, Romans eight sends a chill up my spine. Romans eight is this power that God has put in it that I'm just like, this is different. There's something different about this. It sends a chill up my spine. Romans 8 paints this beautiful picture of freedom from sin, freedom to rest in what God has done, a freedom bought and paid for by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a freedom that did not come cheap, and it should not be cheap. We don't have a cheap freedom. Our freedom is priceless because of the price that was paid for it. It's a Romans 8 is also this turning point in the book of Romans, right? So in Romans 1 through 7, everything is about our sin. And everything is about the way that we have interacted with sin and God for centuries. Uh, honestly, it's, it's the way that our relationship with God is in a fallen world. And it's Paul kind of laying out this narrative and he lays out this narrative that's kind of an indictment of the church. Uh, it, he's laying a case against the church and not just the church, but he's laying a case against the believers who who don't have Christ yet. So, right? so he's laying this case against us. And then Romans 8, 
is really the turning point. It shifts from what we've done. It shifts from, from Paul making this case against humanity to Paul making a case for God and what God has done. Romans 8 is where the entire narrative shifts. It shifts from what we've done, from the sin that we've committed, to what God has done, and the sinless life that Jesus lived to give us freedom in the face of our sin, to offer us eternal life, even though we don't deserve it. Now, of course, Romans 1 through 7 offers glimpses of this. We've seen it all throughout the narrative that, that he is giving us, that Paul is giving us little, little droplets of what's coming because Paul is so excited about what God has done that he can't just lay a case out. He has to kind of like sprinkle it in and be like, it's like everybody has sinned. You've all fallen short and God has taken care of that. Now back to the sin part. See, Paul is just so excited about what God has done that he literally can't keep it to just Romans eight, but Romans one through seven paints a kind of a different picture. And that's one of the reasons that I, I find it so incredible is because it's this shifting point. It's where Paul really turns the gears up. It's where he hits the gas. If there is a single chapter in God's word that tells the entire story from start to finish, I believe that it's Romans 8 and just one chapter. If I could only convince someone to read one chapter of the entire Bible, it's Romans 8 every single time. If there is a place that can't get God's word, but could get like a page, I would say Romans 8 is that page every single time. And now that I've given that glowing commendation for Romans 8, I have some bad news. We're still in Romans 7. Now, I say that a little tongue-in-cheek because I don't actually think it's bad news. You see, we don't have to read one chapter. We don't get just one book. We get all 66 books. We get the entire narrative that God is telling. And I believe from Genesis to Revelation, God is telling one cohesive story that we get the opportunity to see and we get to see his story laid out in scripture. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that we get to see. And so we don't have to just stick to one chapter. Now, if you walk out of here and you say, I will only read one chapter of the Bible, go read Romans 8. Just do it. Read the whole thing. Start to finish. Romans 8. But because we don't have to do that, I think it's important that we slow down and we don't blow past Romans 1 through 7, but instead we take the time to really see what God is saying. So while I love Romans 8, I love Romans 8, I also love Romans 7. Because the first part of Romans really is building the case for why we don't deserve this freedom for why we don't deserve what God has given us, for why we don't deserve this gift that God has handed us for free. It wasn't free for him, but it's free for us. And I think when we can understand the price that was paid for it, it makes that gift of salvation so much sweeter. When we understand that it is not something that came at no cost, but instead was something that was given to us freely at a great cost to the one who gave it. And so Romans 7 is a little bit like the antithesis to Romans 8, right? It's kind of like it's kind of like the polar opposite. And last week Pastor Les showed us how just like we're free from the law of marriage if our husband and wife, husband and wife, ooh, husband or wife were to pass away, we are now free from the law because we have been made dead to sin and alive in Christ. 
So over the next 21 or so verses, Paul lays out some of the most confusing scripture in the entire Bible. And if you don't think it's confusing, then me and a few Bible scholars would love to take you out to lunch this week. All right. And that isn't to say that we can't wrap our heads around it. That isn't to say that we don't have a grasp on it because God's spirit gives us the ability to read his word. But the way that Paul writes this, it's almost as if he's trying to confuse people because he talks about the law and sin and God. And then he kind of transpose, he kind of mixes all three of those things together. And it's, it's confusing. If you've never read Romans seven verses, it's uh, seven through 25, I believe. If you've never done that, go home and do it because we're going to get into that next week. And I'm going to let Les really suss out the, the confusing seven through 25. Uh, because I'm not going to get all the way through 25 today. I thought about trying it, and then I realized that we would be here until uh, next Sunday. So I'm going to focus on just two verses today, just two verses. Uh, and I'm also going to throw in a little bit of verse four. And so today we're going to look at Romans 7, verses 5 and 6. And it says, You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh... The sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. And so we're going to pause just right there for a second. We see right here that there are two kinds of fruit Paul mentions in in chapter seven. He says that there is a fruit that comes from death, the fruit of death, right? So this is a fruit that comes from our sinful passions. This is a fruit that comes from our sinful desires. This is a fruit that comes from our sin. Your sin will still produce fruit. You see, the Bible talks about seed and harvest all the time. The reality is you are never not planting seeds and you are never not harvesting the results of those seeds. You see, we want, we want to we plant the good seed, but we want to harvest that seed. But that's not what always happens, is it? Sometimes we plant bad seed and we have to harvest that seed. That's the consequences of the actions that we make. And so he lays it out here. He says, you are producing fruit. You are a fruit producing tree. You are a fruit producing person. Whether you like it or not, you are going to produce fruit. So the question is, are you producing God fruit or are you producing death fruit? But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Now I want to take this just one line at a time because I think it's important that we really understand scripture and what it's saying. And so it is our responsibility. It is a responsibility that we have that God has given us to bear fruit for the Lord. We do it because while we were once enslaved to sin, we were once, we once called sin our master, whether you thought you did or not, you did. (laughs) Maybe you still do. Maybe that's where you're at today, but we were once enslaved to sin, but now We've been purchased with a price, the highest price of all, the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This sounds great, right? Everything about this sounds good. We're like, oh man, I'm not enslaved to sin anymore. Now I am a servant of Christ. Now I get to serve on the team of life. Now I get to produce good fruit. Now I get to do what God has called me to do. Then why in the world... Am I still subject to sin? 
Why am I still battling day in and day out? Why can I not break free from the, from the don'ts in my life? Why am I stuck here all the time? And so this raises the biggest question of all, right? If we want to produce God fruit in our lives, if we want to do things that produce fruit from the Lord, the biggest question that we're probably all asking, or if we're not asking it right now, we've asked it at some point in our lives. The big question is, how? How do I produce fruit? See, I've spent my whole life trying to do what's right, what's good, what God's law commands. And yet here I am doing part of what's required, what's, what's put in God's word of me. I'm here, I'm in, I'm in God's house, I'm in the church, and yet I sit here week in, week out, crushed by my inability to do what's right. No matter how hard I try, I still end up right back where I'm at. So while I can read this on paper and I can read God's word and I can know that it's true and I can know that it's right, how? How do I do this? How do I produce fruit that God finds pleasing? Because all I can seem to do is produce fruit that leads to death. And so the question that I have to ask myself again and again and again is how? Because while it seems easy on paper, bear fruit, got it. How? How am I supposed to do that? How is that something that I'm supposed to do? Because before you're in Christ, before you are in Christ, the, fl- the, the fruit that you are bearing is fruit of death. We spend a lot of time teaching kids about the fruits of the Spirit, right? But I don't remember a Sunday school lesson called the fruits of death. Do you guys? Anybody? Nope, I don't either. You see, I like to call them the fruits of the flesh because that's really what they are. They're fruits that we produce outside of the Lord. They're fruits that we produce outside of God. Quick question. Can anybody in here name all nine fruits of the Spirit? Everybody? My wife's raising her hand. Good little Sunday school answer. Okay. Okay. Very good. Okay. Very good. All right. We'll get into them in a second. But we understood through the law, right? So we understood through the law what we weren't supposed to do before we were believers. If you're sitting in here and you've never put your faith in Christ, there is still something in you that says this is right and this is wrong. There is something innate in all people that says right versus wrong. And so we understood through the law what we weren't supposed to do, but we still understand right now as believers in Christ who are resting in his freedom, doesn't always feel like rest, does it? Sometimes it feels like we're still under the law. How? Why? The question still stands. I'm not bearing the fruit that I want to bear. I know how to bear the fruit of the flesh. That's just everyday life. I do that easily. But how do I become a person that produces the flesh, that produces the fruit of the Spirit? How can I do what this passage is telling me to do where it says that I should be walking in the spirit? How can I do that? I don't understand how I get to that point. And the final thing that I kind of see here is how can I be released from the law? It says that I have freedom from the law. I would love to be released from the law. A lot of you have been walking with Christ for years. Some of you, it may have only been months or weeks And you are thinking the same thing that all of us think at some point in our lives. I would love 
to die to what holds me. But I still feel like it has a hold on me. I still feel that it has something that's holding me back, holding me down. And I still feel the weight of my sin all the time. I feel, I feel crushed by it all the time. I constantly feel crushed and held down knowing I know that I'm supposed to walk in the spirit and not the flesh, but having no idea how to stop doing the things I used to do to actually be able to walk in the fruit of the spirit and produce the fruits of the spirit. Now, if these are thoughts that you've had over the years, if you've ever read about the freedom in the Bible and asked yourself, how? I want you to know that this is not a question that you are the only person to ever ask. Most people, I would say probably all the people in this room have asked that exact question, have probably been walking along and they have stumbled into sin. They have committed sin and they've asked themselves, why? Why do I keep doing this? And how can I get out of it? And so you might ask yourselves, how do I walk in the spirit? Well, the second thing about walking in the spirit that I want you to know is it's not an accident. We are never going to accidentally walk in the spirit. Walking in the spirit is something that we can't just happen into. We have to make a purposeful effort to do so. It takes work. Salvation is this wonderful gift. It's wonderful in so many ways, but one of the ways that it's wonderful in is that it happens in a moment. We submit to Christ. We acknowledge what he's done for us on the cross and we are washed new. We've had so many baptisms over the last few weeks symbolizing this thing that happens in an instant. And it's so incredible that all these young people have submitted their lives to Christ. But that's not the end of it. We almost, sometimes we get caught up in this idea that salvation is the end of the journey. Salvation is actually the very tip of the journey. It's the very beginning of our Christian journey. What Paul talks about here is something that's repeated time and time again, walking in the spirit. It's something that takes time. It takes practice. It takes diligence on our behalf. We will never, ever, ever accidentally walk in the spirit. So this leaves us with this big question that kind of looms over our heads, right? It looms really large and you're like, how do I, how do I deal with this? How do I handle this? How do I do this? And so we have to answer the question, how? After all of this, how? Because I've been walking for years and yet I still stumble and I still fall and I still sin against a holy God. And so the question that we have to ask is how? How do we get out of this? I have really good news for you this morning. I know the answer, right? Thought I was just going to come up here and give you this with no answer, didn't you? Nope, I have an answer. And it's found in scripture. And you might not like this part, because it puts something on you. But it's an answer that takes a lot of work. And it's something that you won't be able to do overnight. And even beyond that, it's something that you won't be able to do by yourself. I know all the extroverts just went, woo! And all the introverts just went, ooh. But it's something that you won't be able to do by yourself. And so there's good news in that though. So while it's hard and it's difficult, and it's something that you're going to have to fight for. 
It's something that you're going to have to strive for. The good news is you won't be going through it alone. You see, you have your brothers and sisters in Christ. And ultimately, you have the Spirit of God who empowers you to live the way that God has called you to live. Now, when I mentioned your brothers and sisters in Christ, some of you probably went, I can't share with them what I'm going through. I can't share with them the sin that I'm facing. I can't share with them this dark secret that I've got. Well, I've got, I've got something I want to do real quick. And I just need you guys to participate. All right. Everybody going to participate? Okay, perfect. I'm going to take those three people over there as a yes. If you have sinned in your entire life, raise your hand. All right. That's awesome. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. If you have sinned this week, keep your hands up. Now look around the room. All right. Look around the room. These are the leaders in your church. You guys put your hands down. Thank you so much. These are the leaders in your church. My hand was up. It wasn't really, but it should have been. Uh, These are the leaders in your church. These are people you love and respect. And here's the thing. You're all in the same boat. We are all captive to sin in some way, shape, or form. But here's what the Bible is teaching us is that we don't have to stay captive. Sin doesn't have to be this thing that looms over us all the time that is constantly crushing us. Sin can be a trip in the road, a repentant heart, and another step forward. Sin doesn't have to be something that we're trapped in. Sin can be something that we get to say, hey, I used to be trapped by that, but now I am in servitude to Christ. And that gives me freedom from the law of sin. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, these people sitting in this room, they are one of the greatest things that God has given us. You see, we are designed to be a community who lifts each other up and helps when we're in need. Now, let's get back to the key. The key to spirit-filled living, when you're living under the thumb of God's law, when you feel crushed by the weight of your sin, made all the more apparent by what God is telling you don't do, You see all of the don'ts. Don't do this. Don't look at that. Don't think this way. Don't say these words. Don't produce this kind of fruit. Being told don't over and over and over and over again is exhausting, right? If you guys get told don't, 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 no, 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 it's exhausting, And it can easily wear us out and make us feel like we are always doing the wrong things. And it can make us feel like God is constantly in heaven looking down and saying, I know he's going to mess up today and I'm going to see it. I'm going to make sure I'm watching it. But we have to shift our perspective. We can't sit here and say that we're going to live in the don'ts because if you live in the don'ts, you'll die in the don'ts we need to understand that God is not telling you don't. God is telling you to do. Let me show you what I mean. In Galatians chapter five, starting in verse 13, it says, for you were called to be free brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. See, this is where Paul comes in. He says, you should be serving one another. You should be a community. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out. 
or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Here it is, that word again, right? Walk in the Spirit. Here's Paul telling us to walk in the Spirit of God. And he says, if you walk in the Spirit of God, you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. So he says, if you walk in the Spirit of God, you will not produce fruit of the flesh. You will produce fruit of the Spirit. And so you might ask yourselves, how? For the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, these are the fruits of the flesh that I was talking about. When you look through scripture, there are a few times that something like this happens, but he's, but Paul is putting out here, he gives us the fruits of the flesh. He says it right here. And then he follows it up with this, but, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see what Paul does here? Paul mentions the fruits of the flesh. He lays them out before us, but he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say, these are the fruits of the flesh, avoid them, peace out, Paul out. He doesn't do that. He says, these are the fruits of the flesh. And then he goes on to mention what the fruits of the spirit are. He doesn't leave us in this weird limbo where we have to fend for ourselves. He plainly says, do these things. If you are struggling with a fruit of the flesh, look for the fruit of the spirit that is counter to that and begin to practice that in your lives. If you're struggling with anger, how can you grab a hold of joy? How can you how can you grab a hold of joy in your life? What does it look like for you to replace that anger with the joy of the Lord? How do you do that? If you're struggling with envy, if you're envying everything, how can you obtain self-control by asking yourself what you're struggling with the most and asking God and other believers to help you take hold of it and replace it with spirit-filled living. We can't just say we're going to stop doing something. No, no, no. What God is telling us to do is he's not just telling us don't. He's saying, don't do this so that you can do this. Don't be angry so that you can be joyful. Don't be envious so that you can practice self-control, so that you can practice kindness, so that you can practice giving. He is telling us that we need to take hold of these fruits and to live by them. You see, we aren't called to be slaves to sin and the law. We are called to be sons and daughters of the living God. 
And so we sometimes think I have to not do these things. And we get so focused on the things that we're not supposed to do that that's all we think about. That's all we have in our minds. That that's all we can grasp. But what God is saying is he's saying, don't get so hung up on the fruits of the flesh. Instead, take those fruits of the flesh, recognize them as dead works, and begin to produce the fruits of the Spirit. And the way that you do that is you practice the fruits of the Spirit. You practice love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You practice those things. And you ask God, you ask God for opportunities to practice those things. You ask people to help... uh, you ask people to help you keep you accountable to practice those things. Now, this might come as a surprise to you. I'll give you a little side angle here. All right. All right. There we go. Keep that in your minds. Uh, I lost a bunch of weight. And I know you're looking at me like, did you? Ooh. Here's the thing. At one point in my life, I was somewhere above 330 pounds. And I don't know how far above 330 pounds I really was because I stopped weighing at about 330 pounds. And I had two massive wake-up calls. And the wake-up calls were this. I was working with kids in ministry and we got into a game of tag. And I started running after the kids and I took three steps and I was gassed. Okay, I was done. I, everything went like, <laughs> everything went like a little bit black on the edges. And I was like, what just happened? I'd never had that happen to me in my life. And I realized that my health was getting out of control. I realized that what I was eating, I hadn't watched in probably five years. I realized that my weight was so out of control that I had stopped even weighing myself ever because I was embarrassed by it. And the second thing, and I think this might have been even the more of a wake-up call, is I went to lunch with my dad and we went to Pizza Buffet. I love a Pizza Buffet, okay? I can't eat Pizza Buffet anymore, but I love Pizza Buffet. And we went to get in the booth. And when I got in that booth, oh, it was a tight fit. And I and I like, I mean, I had to suck my belly in a little bit. I just had to squeeze in there. When you're too fat to fit in the pizza buffet table. You have hit a low point in life. Ask me how I know. And so what I did is I changed the way that I ate. I changed what I did. I started walking. And again, you might not know it, but just know like I'm, I'm down about 40 pounds from where I was when I weighed. Uh, I, at my most, I was 60. And then I moved here and you guys started feeding me barbecue. It's a real problem. I'm getting back to it. But it was tough because for my entire life, I had seen dieting and I had seen exercise as denying me of something that I loved. I loved food. I loved getting to experience the, the new foods. And so I, I, I saw it as denying myself what I wanted, which isn't a bad thing. That's kind of where self-control comes in. But I was driving home from work one day and this, it, it, was like a, it was like a revelation comes to me. Me and my wife love theme parks. And the last time that we'd gone to a theme park, I'd had to ask for the seatbelt extender on the plane, which is, it's a, it's, they're super nice about it, but it's, it feels weird. It feels awkward. And so I asked for this seatbelt extender 
And then we get to the, we get to the park and there are rides I don't fit on, which is something I'd never experienced in my entire life. And so when I was driving home, I realized that I had let my mouth and my stomach call the shots for, I think it was 30 years. I realized I was letting it call the shots for 30 years. And so what it became is it wasn't about denying myself food because the reality is whether I did or didn't, I was denying myself something. I was denying myself getting to ride that ride at a theme park. I was getting to, I was denying myself being able to continue in ministry. I was denying myself getting to run around in youth ministry. I was denying myself the very thing that God had called me to do. And I realized I had to make a change. And so to allow myself to do what God had called me to do indefinitely, to be in good enough shape to be able to do that, I had to start denying myself somewhere else. I realized that it wasn't that regardless of how it played out, I was denying myself. But the question was, was I going to deny myself of food and gluttony? Or was I going to be willing to deny myself of the things that God had called me to do? Was I going to be willing to deny myself years off my life? Was I willing to deny myself those things? And so in that moment, I made a commitment that I wasn't going to deny food, but that I was going to embrace what God had called me to. I was going to embrace being a husband to my wife for years. To I was going to embrace getting to ride theme park rides. I was going to embrace being able to fit in the pizza buffet table. I was going to embrace those things. Now I can't go back there again for reasons, but, uh, but I, but I had to deny myself certain things so that I could embrace what God wanted to do for years to come. And so we sometimes view this life that God has called us to as a list of don't, 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 don't. When God is sitting here screaming, there are do's to do. There are things to do. There are missions to complete. There are people to reach. There are things that we have to do. And so we have to stop viewing this spirit-filled walk as a denial. It is a denial. I'm like, I had to deny myself food. We have to deny ourselves things. We have to deny ourselves fruits of the flesh. But let me tell you, the focus is so much easier when you stop focusing on what you're denying yourself and you start focusing on what God is sitting here saying, take this, eat this fruit, embrace what I'm doing. And so we have to be a people who are willing to embrace the fruits of the spirit. And we have to be a people that are willing to embrace walking in the spirit. And again, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not easy. There's nothing easy about denying the things that your flesh wants to do, but there is something satisfying about it because God is bigger and God is better and God has so much more. But until we're willing to say, the fruits of the spirit, the, the fruits of the flesh aren't going to be what, what dictate and rule my life until we're willing to say that the fruits of the flesh are going to be put off from us and the fruits of the spirit are going to be what we embrace in our everyday lives. Until we're willing to do that, we can't go any higher. We can't go any deeper. We can't learn anymore because we're still going to be battling the flesh. Now you're going to battle the flesh for the rest of your lives. Sorry. This is how it is. 
until we are in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ, you will battle sin. No ifs, no ands, no buts. But the battle becomes so much easier when you are consistently walking in the spirit. And the way that we consistently walk in the spirit is we embrace the fruits of the spirit that God has put before us. And we take hold of them and we run with them. Now, I'm going to go ahead and I want to, I want to pray for you guys. Um, as Michael and Sarah come back up, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, I'm going to be up here at the front. If you guys need prayer for absolutely anything at all, I would be overjoyed to be able to pray with you. Um, and maybe you've been sitting out here and you've heard of this spirit-filled living and you've heard what the fruits of the flesh are. You've heard all of these things. But the truth is that you aren't even trying to walk in the spirit because you don't know the one who is the spirit. Maybe you've never met Jesus in this room today. Maybe, maybe you've never haven't had an opportunity. Well, I want to give you that opportunity today. If you've never met Jesus, I'd love to pray with you because it is one of the greatest things that you can do. It is the first step in a lifelong journey that is full of very, very high highs and very low lows, but it is full of the constant of having a savior who loves you, who will be with you in the highs and with you in the lows. Let me pray for you. Father God, we just thank you so much. It is only through your spirit that we were able to live with your spirit. God, as we look at the fruits of the flesh, let us deny those so that we can embrace the fruits of the spirit that lead to joyful, abundant living. Not that it's easy, not that it's not, that it's not extremely difficult, but it is extremely worth it to be able to walk in the fruits of the spirit and walk in the spirit. Father God, thank you so much for freeing us from our sin so that we may walk and be with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.